Welcome to Doctors at Work. My name is Matt Daniel and this podcast is about doctors' careers. Today I'm having a conversation with Connor Allen. He's a medical student who spent a year doing research and then did an internship at WHO. In this episode, he tells me how to get started in research and what skills you need to succeed. His top tips are networking, starting small just by getting a foot in the door, investing in your own learning and developing a niche for yourself. Hope it's useful. Welcome, Connor. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm Connor. I'm a final year medical student based at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And I've just finished an internship at the World Health Organization in sexual and reproductive health, looking at um, barriers to reproductive health care for trans and gender diverse people. And looking forward to talking to you today. So you've taken some time out from your studies. Yes, that's right. I'm um, I'm on an intermission at the moment. So I completed four years of clinical medicine. Um, I did a year of honours at the Burnett Institute, and then I took this year off. And um, this year has been sort of a break for me from clinical medicine. I actually taught English in Spain for six months. And alongside that, I've been continuing my research that I started in my honours year, and then sort of found uh, my way into the World Health Organization kind of by accident um, and, and took that opportunity for three months, the internship. So, yeah, it's been it's been a very restful and very needed break from clinical medicine, to be completely honest. And what attracted you to doing this internship? Yeah, I, I think for me, I've always had an interest in research. Really, since day one of my of my medical degree, I've been getting involved in research and that sort of culminated in the honors year. And um, speaking to my supervisor who had actually worked at the World Health Organization, he sort of piqued my interest about what it, uh, what it would be like to work at that organization. So during my time away, I, I sort of kept an eye out for opportunities and very much refreshed the WHO internship page once every couple of months. And they just reopened the internship portal uh, for the first time after COVID. So I saw the internship that I ended up getting and was like, wow, I, I think this is exactly what I want to do. I am really interested in sexual and reproductive health and particularly with an LGBTQ plus focus. And I saw this and I was like, okay, I have to apply. I don't know what my odds are of getting this, but I have to apply and sort of underwent the process and that culminated in the internship. And what did you end up doing on your internship? Yeah, so I predominantly focused on writing a systematic review. Um, I'm focusing on the barriers to care for sexual and reproductive health. Uh, alongside that, I worked on a number of other projects within the Department of Sexual and Reproductive Health. So for example, um, intersex surgeries, working with other colleagues on GBS screening, um, and participating in sort of discussions that uh, I had not had the opportunity to be a part of before. So for example, I was able to be present at the launch of the 2030 um, UNAIDS program, which was incredible. Um, so sort of being in that space and, and just interacting with some really amazing people um, in that field was, was sort of the highlight. But yeah, predominantly a research-focused role there, which I really loved and sort of, um, I felt built strongly of what I had done in my honours as well. Yeah. And it sounds like an absolutely amazing opportunity to have yeah, it was. And I'm I'm very grateful. I, I was fortunate enough to sort of complete the internship along um, another another medical student who is now a really good friend. And um, it was it was a very different environment. 
environment to clinical medicine, first of all. I, um, I found that people were very, very passionate and very focused on public health rather than sort of the, the, the individual or minutia of, of a clinical setting, uh, which has always pulled me to research, to be honest. Um, but I'd never been in an, in an institute like the World Health Organization where, you know, you have people who have worked in the field for 20 years or you have consultants who have shifted into research and are, are very sort of involved in the space sometimes for decades. So I, I think that was a really, a really great learning experience for me. Yeah. Maybe if I kind of go back to the beginning, you, you said mm. you started off with doing research and you were interested in research. So why would you say that it's important that doctors early on in their careers get involved in research? Yeah. Uh, look, for me, my perspective of going into medical school um, and my interest in research was first born out of a desire to increase my chances of getting into a specialty that I like, to be completely honest. Um, I thought, yes, I know that doctors are more are more able to enter the competitive specialties if you have publications, if you have that research background. But what I saw over time is that actually this is an interest of mine. I actually enjoy this more than clinical medicine. So I was sort of able to pivot into that direction. And I think the more I, the more I worked with um, in the research space, the more I saw how that translated into clinical medicine. And I saw the process of going from research to decision-making. And I think it's really important that doctors are aware of that. I think it's important that doctors know where their decisions come from and to be able to interpret pieces of of literature, medical literature critically, um, because, you know, medicine is rapidly evolving and changing. And I think being able to interpret that and, and be literate in that space is fundamental more now than ever. And have there been any downsides to being involved in research and having some time out from your medical school? Yeah, I, I think seeing my friends and colleagues who I started with at medical school progressing in their clinical careers is sometimes hard to watch when you're at a different stage. So I'm, I'm for example, now two years behind um, what my friend, most of my friends and colleagues have done. Um, so I think seeing them sort of progress on that more linear path, you sometimes doubt yourself like, okay, have I, have I taken the right decisions? Have I made the right choices? But I think when I sort of put them to the perspective of 10 years or 20 years, uh, I can feel reaffirmed in that. Um, I think also, obviously, um, research sort of requires a trade-off in terms of clinical skills. Like I haven't been in a, I haven't practiced clinically since 2021, to be honest. So I think next year will be a huge learning curve for me, sort of going back into that clinical setting. And I'm looking forward to be able to balance those two sides of my career more in the future. But um, yeah, as for now, it's sort of that inevitable trade-off. Mm -hmm. And I also heard you um, say that there's there's an understanding that that you're investing, you know, an additional two years because ultimately that's something that is going to propel your career further at the other end. Yeah, I hope so. And I I really have been reaffirmed by other um, clinicians and practitioners in the spaces that I want to be in. Um, I think now I see research as a big, if not the biggest part of my career moving forward. So I think sort of having that background, especially with honors and especially having experience at the World Health Organization, I feel, I feel much better equipped to move forward in that space. You know, I, um, 
I've spoken to doctors in their early 30s or, or late 20s who are just now looking to get into research. And I think it's harder to start that once you're at a registrar level, starting from scratch. Um, whereas uh, I've been able to build these skills from medical school and I feel very comfortable putting my hand up for research. And perhaps it's, it's maybe easier to take some time out from other activities. Um, cause if I'm trying to think, you know, once, once you're an established, you know, senior doctor, for example, mm. um, then perhaps doing it part-time is easier, but, but the idea that you would take time out and travel to another continent, <laughs> that, that, that's probably quite difficult to do when you've got either clinical responsibilities or also family responsibilities as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's sort of, it's harder to, you know, I just took three months off to go and work in Switzerland. I don't know any physician training programs that would allow that without a lot of paperwork, you know? So I think at the earlier stages of your career, you are, you are better able personally and also career wise to take time out to explore these other, other avenues. And I'm, I'm very glad that I did. And, um, you know, it surprised me that there, a lot of people were supportive of me taking time out. I thought there'd be a lot of pushback, um, especially from doctors and, and advisors, but you know, the only pushback I got were from other students who, who sort of thought, um, maybe projecting a bit of their own concerns, but thought it was a bit of a, a bit of a silly decision to make. But um, yeah, I'm very glad that I did. And I think uh, who knows where I will be in 10 years and who knows what responsibilities I will have. Actually, in terms of a um, time out, if I'm thinking in UK, the, the trainees have, have opportunity um, to take time out specifically for, for career development. Um, so, so yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's something that, that, that can be done, taking somebody's overall career into perspective. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please click subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes come out. This podcast is part of my mission to help doctors create successful and meaningful careers. You can be part of that mission too by forwarding this show to any one person who you think might benefit from listening. Thank you. Now on with the show. You did your honours and you did your research and then you, you said that that then led to an interest in WHO. So, so tell me, how, how did you get from doing your research project at university and how, how mm. did you then move into the WHO internship? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think firstly, the WHO internship process is quite rigorous, as you can imagine. And I think at an intern level and also at a consultant level, at a senior level, they are looking for a strong background in research. Um, so I think firstly, dedicating a year of my career solely to research in my honours year was absolutely vital. I think it firstly endowed me with the skills to be able to conduct research independently and to honestly sell myself in an application saying that I can do this project. Um, and I think those are skills that I will have for the rest of my life. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think secondly, it put me in touch and in the same sort of spaces as people in um, who had a background in research in a global setting. For example, my supervisor, my main supervisor, uh, worked at the WHO for, for several years um, and who was able to sort of, you know, provide me with that perspective and also to vouch for me. I think that was really important um, and to connect me with people who had similar interests with me. Um, I think ultimately having that honours year really distinguished me from another of other, you know, clinicians who may had you know, several years more clinical experience, but may have never written a publication or, or a piece of research before. So I think being able to distinguish myself in that way was was really valuable. And I think, to be honest, there's 
a sort of shortage, or maybe shortage is just the wrong word, but I think there's not many students who, at a student level, who have had a lot of research experience. I think there's sort of either fear or lack of interest in getting enrolled in research at an early stage of, of careers. And I think where I was able to demonstrate that um, with, you know, pieces of work that have been sub submitted for publication, and that was a real, a real standout. So, yeah, I think both of those elements were equally as important. Okay, so the the just to clarify, because some people listening might think, oh, wow, you know, this is great to do something at WHO, I need to apply there. But what, what you're mm. telling me is, is that, that, that your journey to WHO actually sort of started significantly earlier because, you know, you ended up being where you are because mm. the honours year and because you did the research and you, because you did that, that to a high standard and because you wrote papers and you could do statistics, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's all of that basic stuff that they yeah. Actually, then get the internship. Definitely, and to be honest, my research started in 2018, so that was five years ago. It was my first year of medical school. I sort of got in touch with um, student researchers. The very basic undergraduate. There was a student research organization at Monash University, not even for medical students, just for students in general. Um, and I did that, and honestly, at the time, I had no idea what I was doing. But it, it sort of put me on the track of, okay, what's next? Um, and from there, I, I called, I think it's cold, cold, cold emailed a couple of people in the field that I was interested in. And they were generous enough to say, OK, we have this project. Here's a role that, you know, you could do with pretty much no background. Um, and then from there, that sort of sort of pushed me forward towards my honours year, which was definitely the most significant sort of progression I made in that space. But, yeah, everything was cumulative. It, it definitely, WHO was absolutely not the first opportunity that I applied for. Um, it, it was sort of a process in the making and, um, you know, the application process requires that you have that background, especially WHO. But I think there are so many points that you can get started from. I think it's sort of just being patient and being willing to perhaps accept something at the start that is not, you know, your dream project. But I, I think absolutely getting a foot in the door and, and connecting with people in the spaces you're interested in was really vital for me. So let's go then back to those early projects then sort of and, and you know, there you are and you're cold emailing some people. How, how did you feel about the idea of just, you know, emailing a stranger yeah. <laughs> and saying hi? Uh, yeah, I felt, you know, at the time I was like, oh, I'm in my second year of medical school. What can I possibly offer these people? Um, and, you know, it surprised me how, how willing people were to help. I think absolutely everybody that I emailed replied. Um, and these are very busy people. These are, you know, doctors, these are senior clinicians, these are full-time researchers. Um, and I found people were not only willing to reply to me, but also to have a conversation about ideas, about, you know, direction and, and to advise that. So I think um, there is this sort of fear of, oh, I'm wasting this person's time. You know, the worst they can do is not reply to an email. So I think sort of, putting yourself outside of that comfort zone and, and just getting in touch with people, saying that you have an interest. Um, I think that, that has been vital. And, you know, my colleague at WHO as well was even better at that than me. And, you know, he sort of has had this um, this great portfolio of work come out of that and, and connections that also helped him um, into getting the internship that we both did. So I think, yeah, that's sort of something uh, I think not many medical students do. Uh, but I think you should absolutely shoot people some emails because they're 
the reality is there's always more research than there is people to do it. So get involved and get in touch with people, yeah. And if I if I think that from my perspective, you know, from a senior doctor's perspective, if somebody does email me and wants to work with me, it's actually really very flattering. Yeah, because I kind of because I normally I think, you know, wow, this 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 person thinks that that, you know, that I'm good or this person thinks I know what I'm doing or, you know, this person wants to work with me. So so it's very um, it's very flattering when, when that happens. And I would imagine that, you know, most senior doctors would be very flattered. Um, and as you say, you know, the worst thing that you can say is that, um, that, that, you know, you haven't got it. I guess if I think for me, when people email me, you know, one of the, one of the, um, one of the difficulties is that sort of sometimes people email me and they want to do stuff that, that doesn't really align with what I'm interested. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so there'll be, there'll be, you know, whether it's a sort of a student or an early career doctor, they'll, they'll be, they'll be interested in something and I'll be interested in something else. And, you know, that, that sort of, for me then ends up not going anywhere. So I think the alignment between, between, you know, the young doctor and the older doctor, I I think that's really important if you're going to produce something jointly. So I presume that you knew what you wanted to do and you knew what you were interested in. Yeah. I think for me, that is a really important point. Um, What you're saying there is I, for me, I knew what area I was interested in. I, I knew I was interested in sexual health. Um, and so I found a, a sexual health clinician and I said, you know, I'm interested in this field. I can do this. Um, is there any opportunity for me to, to help out? And I was very willing to take projects that uh, perhaps, I, you know, this wasn't my number one choice, but it was in a field that I liked and I, I could sort of see that as a starting point. I think, you know, I have I have heard a number of instances where students go in with very rigorous and very, you know, set ideals of what they want, um, which, you know, when you're starting out, you don't, I don't think you really have that bargaining power. And I think it's important that you sort of go in with the perspective of, okay, this can be a starting point. Um, this can be a learning opportunity, um, which, you know, I think is really important. I think also, I, I think specific to medical students and doctors is asking um team members on your ward on your team at the hospital is also another great way to sort of connect with yeah connect with research opportunities that happens a lot so we've got this idea that that you know maybe when you're fully qualified you're running your own projects then yes you know you can you can pick and choose and you set the direction but if you're if you're looking for somebody to supervise you and to support you and teach you and train you then Mm. Reality is that, that you're going to have to accept something that aligns with the senior clinician's um, interests, even if it doesn't 100% align. You know, you might have some broad general alignment. Mm. It, it doesn't have to align perfectly because, you know, what you're getting is you get, you get in experience. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of that acknowledgement that they're making an investment in you as well, especially right at the beginning. There is that sort of upskilling and training involved. And I think it's important to recognize that they need to get something out of this partnership as well. So, um, yeah, I think even, you know, my honours year, I the project that I ended up doing was not my number one choice, but I think most importantly, the supervisor and I clicked really well. I think we had a really good working relationship and, you know, that's a professional relationship that I hope I will have for years and years. So I think, yeah, relationship over the project, especially initial stages, is really important. I would echo that if I think to my to my PhD topic, um how how i how i chose what i chose and actually i i chose it for the people 
that uh, mm. same as you're saying that the, the topic that I studied, I became more and more interested in it the more I studied it, of course, which you know, that inevitably happens. Um, but actually, principally, I chose it for the people that I was going to be working with, yeah, ra- rather than the details of what um, I was going to be doing. So, I suppose the other thing, then, again, you know, if I think with my um, um, hat on, is sometimes people come and approach me. And then I do spend time with people and we, we do, we plan a project and then people disappear and they don't deliver. Um, and I guess, you know, that for me is disappointment because, you know, because mm. I've, I've invested in somebody else um, and I've helped somebody else. And then, I've, and then I kind of think, you know, well, that's, that's been, you know, it's just ended up being a bit of a waste of my time. So I guess I'm interested mm. in, in what do you think, what does it take for a medical student to deliver um, on a research project? Yeah, I think number one that comes to mind, building off of you know, what you just said, is realistic expectations about your capacity is so fundamental. You know, it is hard to juggle research with a full-time clinical you know, career. And I think in the junior doctor phases as well, that's even harder um, than medical school. So I think going in with realistic expectations, um, which stems from communication you need to be able to communicate well with your supervisor uh in terms of what the deliver the deliverables deliverables are going to be and um, what sort of timeline you're looking at so starting from the beginning with upfront realistic expectations i think also touching base with the supervisor when difficulties arise and they will that's inevitable especially if you're working in a space that you don't have much experience with um so i think being able to work cohesively with the team and sort of respecting that this is a professional relationship, even if perhaps it's not a paid sort of interaction, if it's not a paid job you're doing, this is a professional relationship and it's it's something that you have agreed and willingly offered yourself to do. So I think operating within that space and within that knowledge is if I walked away from this project, would I walk away from you know a job at work? Would I, you know, fail on my deliverables? I think, yeah. Setting those realistic expectations and then being able to work towards them is fundamental. And reaching out when you need help is huge. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to- talking to each other and, and saying, okay, well, this is a commitment that I've made, you know, whether it's paid or not, it doesn't matter. You know, the point is that there's a relationship here, there's a commitment that both of us have made. Um, and yep. that, that's a commitment that, that, that needs to be honoured and needs to be completed. Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's move on to the internship itself then. So what, what kind of skills did you need um, during the internship? Yeah, so I guess we can sort of think of that in terms of the soft skills and the, and the specific research skills. So um, the specific research skills, the internship that I did was uh, upfront. It was the main sort of task we'll be doing is a systematic review. I had done a systematic review in my honours year, so I was like, great. Um, I, I could sort of do that. Um, it was There were new elements. For example, I hadn't worked with qualitative evidence before. That was a, a school that I had to learn and I did on the job. Um, but I, I think, you know, all of the, the general research skills that had sort of culminated and sort of I had accumulated over the years were really, really important. Um, I think as well, working within a very interdisciplinary team was a skill that, sure, I had that in my honours year, but this was next level. Like we were working with human rights advisors, we were working with lawyers, and sort of producing work that was not just for publication, but was for policy, was in a legal setting and, and in an international space. Um, so uh, having the skill of 
versatility and flexibility, which I think is so important in any research and global health career that you pursue. That was the most important. Um, I think uh, uh, another thing was the tolerance for a difference of opinions and a, and a willingness to compromise, which was perhaps specific to WHO. I found that um, less in my honours year and at the Burnett Institute because the deliverables and the stakeholders are very different. At WHO, it's very much an international thing. So, for example, if we want to publish a piece of work, this needs to be acceptable to, for for example, member states or, or, or country representatives. So I think being able to adapt the research in a way that was acceptable, that was that was a different experience for me. And it changed the way that I conducted my work. Um, I think those are the, are the two main things. I think also a willingness, I think perhaps the softer school was a willingness to sort of branch out in a way that I hadn't had to do before. I think all of my research before was in reproductive health. and for sure the main task in this internship was reproductive health but i was being pulled into projects on completely different teams with completely different research um so i think again that comes back to the versatility you need to be sort of able to adapt um not only to the jobs but also to the team members with whom you're working with um but yes i think number one was the research skills that i had developed yeah and you you mentioned the idea that it's um you need to be able to influence the people around you. So what, what would be your tips about how one can influence the people around you? Yeah, I I think being a really good listener is really important. There's a lot of people who have a lot, a lot of things to say, but I find that there are less people who are just willing to listen. Um, so when a person is, is you know concerned about the direction a project is taking, I think creating a space and creating you know, room for that concern to be heard is fundamental. Um, you know, there are so many times when conflicts arise where people want the same thing. They just have a different vision of how it's going to come about. So I think dedicating time and dedicating effort to to resolving that and to working cohesively, yeah, is a huge, it's a huge thing. I think, you know, we can sort of have our meeting and then go back to our cubicles and work, but that discussion needs to be ongoing and evolving. Okay, so and you've had this amazing opportunity. Then how are you, how are you going to use how are you going to capitalize on this opportunity to help you take your career further? Yeah, look, that's a good question, and I'm still I think I'm still thinking that. Um, look, so for me, my journey now is I need to finish medical school. I have um, one more year left, and look, I coming from this experience and my honours experience, I'm really not sure if I want to stay in clinical medicine anymore. I really enjoyed the global health and the and the sort of policy level work. So I think now, number one, it's sort of maintaining those relationships that I have with the people at WHO and at the Burnett Institute with whom I've formed really great working relationships with. Um, and sort of there is this part of me that is very open to pursuing whatever comes, you know. Um, right now I'm sort of getting my qualification, but after that I am I'm pretty open to seeing where the road takes me. I think next for me is probably an MPH. Um, and sort of progressing my skills in a more formal way uh, with a qualification like that. Um, but yeah, who knows? I I think right now I'm thinking of the public health physician route. So that will entail a number of years of you know further specialty training and and um, yeah clinical training as well. You know, I think one important thing about research is every researcher has sort of told me that the more time you invest in clinical and work clinically, the more payoff that will have in a research space. 
not only in terms of your standing and how people sort of recognize your your skills, but also um, in sort of being able to see how research translates and fits into practice. So, um, you know, I, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not too interested in clinical medicine as a doctor anymore, but um, I, I recognize that it's an important part of research. So, yeah, feeling, finishing that time and um, I'm not letting myself take another intermission for at least three years. So we'll see where the road takes me. Yeah. You, you mentioned the importance of maintaining those relationships. So how are you going to, how are you going to maintain those relationships over the next few years? Yeah. So firstly, um, I'm still finishing a number of projects, especially for WHO. So we have that direct working relationship, but um, I think also I, I do anticipate and I do plan that I will have time to be able to, you know, work again on, on research and there is just so many projects available. So I think, you know, having regular check-ins where possible, having, putting my hand up for projects when they come about. Um, and then I guess, especially with honours, um, I, I have, you know, that team in Melbourne who I'm already planning to catch up with when I go back. So I think investing in the relationship by, you know, just communicating first of all, but also, again like showing that willingness to participate showing that willingness to work because they can't read your mind they don't know if you if you want to work and continue your involvement in those spaces so just making that known is really important let's talk a little bit about money so you've had some time mm -hmm. out you've had this amazing opportunity how, how did the finances of this work out yeah so first of all I think recognizing that I was very privileged in that I had a lot of opportunities from my university um, in terms of scholarship. Monash, I'm very grateful for Monash. They endowed me with you know, several scholarships over the years. I was also very lucky to receive a scholarship from the Pinnacle Foundation, which is a, a charity based in Australia who give um, scholarships to LGBT plus students. Um, and I think for WHO, the interns are actually paid now. I know that wasn't the case in the past, but um, we were given a stipend. so. Switzerland, as you know, is very expensive, but the stipend pretty much covered my living expenses for the three months that I was there. So a combination of scholarship, um, working back home, and um, yeah, living frugally, <laughs> I will say, was uh, was all very important. But I, I think I have to acknowledge that I am, you know, in a privileged position where I, I come from a country where opportunities are numerous, um, and I know that it isn't the case for a number of people, um, and. I think, you know, where possible, we need to do better at making those opportunities more accessible for people around the world because Switzerland is insanely expensive and the stipend was generous, but it would still be out of reach for a number of students. Yeah. It's, it's great to hear that um, WHO does actually give you a stipend. And so the scholarship, so, I mean, how, how do you get a scholarship? Sort of, how, you know, mm. a great opportunities, but for anybody listening, how on earth do you get one? Good question. Um, and I think, you know, having talked to faculty and other members at the university, a lot of people just don't know about the scholarship. A lot of people don't apply. I mean, in reality, universities have millions of dollars available in, in funding and scholarships sometimes. So firstly, looking at the university portal, go through those websites, go through every scholarship application page, apply for things you don't even think you're going to get, right? Um, and then I also found external scholarships. My university actually had an external scholarships page, but if your university doesn't, you can look at um, other universities because they will have pages sometimes for external scholarships. And I just applied, 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 applied. I probably had a 5% success rate in the end, to be honest, but that was enough to sort of 
pulled together a significant amount of money over five years time of studying. Um, yeah, I think also another resource I would use is look at LinkedIn. Um, and I think this is just general advice, you know, if you want to see how people's careers have progressed, but especially at a student level, people on LinkedIn often put what scholarships they had. Um, so I found a couple of scholarships, for example, the Pinnacle Foundation scholarship was by reading somebody else's profile on LinkedIn. And I thought, oh, okay, I could be eligible for that. Let's, let's apply. Um, but yeah, I would just say there's no harm in applying. Um, and I think, you know, there are different scholarships for different stages of your careers. So for example, I know people, you know, clinicians who have gone and done things like Fulbright or Rhodes and, or, you know, other similarly, you know, things like that. But, um, yeah, just be, just invest time in actually looking for that. I think people just don't actually invest enough time in that. So, yeah. And of the ones where you've been successful, what what do you think makes for a successful fellowship application, a scholarship application? Mm, um, I think interview skills go a long way. I think if you are able to connect with people, if you're able to tell them your story in a in a compelling way, that is really important. Um, I think also being to, able to uh, show that you're unique is really important as well. You know, there are a lot of people who just sort of give the stock standard answers sometimes. And I think trying your selling point, your unique selling point, this is for the internship as well. This is for every position is like working on that niche and, and presenting yourself in a way that's different. Um, and of course, working hard academically. I think good grades got me very far in everything that I've done, to be honest, um, really investing in, you know, your academic scores and, and where possible. Yeah. And then my final question, then, what would be your top tips for doctors or medical students who are considering expanding their careers, moving sideways, taking on leadership roles, changing the world? What would be your top tips? Mm, uh, that's a hard question. <laughs> but I think number one is connecting with people who have gone in directions that you're interested in going to. Um, you know, LinkedIn is a great resource. I think I've wasted so many hours on LinkedIn, but I've also spent so many productive hours on there as well. Um, finding people who have who are in positions now or, or um, you know have progressed in similar ways that you want to go and then reaching out you know it, a message an email doesn't hurt um, and those networks might also exist in your hospital they might exist in your university level I think yeah just being able to develop that skill of cold emailing cold calling people is really fundamental um, secondly I think being able to accept an initial position that is not your dream job first I think we talked about this earlier but Getting a foot in the door is so important because, you know, things really snowball and things really accumulate quite quickly. Um, I think somebody once said to me, abundance attracts abundance. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's true. Like you, you sort of just, yeah, accumulate things over time. Um, and thirdly, I think investing in learning for yourself. So whether that might be a formal you know, qualification or training, but um, you know, there are just so many resources out there now that like you can learn how to do a systematic review on YouTube, to be honest. So investing in skills and developing those skills for yourself and then marketing yourself appropriately, I think is, is really important. And finally, uh, the advice that my supervisor always gave me was find a way to create a niche for yourself. And that can be slowly, that can be over time, but, you know, find a niche that makes you employable, that makes you unique. So for me, I have I feel like I'm really interested in health economics and LGBTQ plus research. And for me, those are two separate things that I'm trying to you know combine together that are not the most common of skill sets.
So yeah, finding that niche is really important. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Connor. Thank you.